Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. On this episode of The Kindness Project, Ambo number five, Netflix, and we have part one of our interview with Marcus Tomlinson. Are you going to just sing Mambo number five as the start of the podcast? <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> yeah, Mambo no, no, m- number five. A little bit of do-do-do-do-do. A little bit of Sandra in the sun. Just like Mad Friday. Mambo number five is that. And it's by the man known as Lou Vega. Or Lou Vega. Something like that. Anyway. Should we start the podcast anytime soon or not? Go on then. Am I starting? Okay, let's go. You're starting. I'm joined by a man who loves the song Doubt but doesn't have any. It's Chris Day. Oh! A Lewis Capaldi reference. No, like, come on. Uh, who's Doubt by? Doubt's the other one. Um, the one about... The one with Lewis Capaldi is uh, someone you loved. And right. Doubt's the other one. The one you sure... Oh, one. no, that's uh, Sam Henshaw, wasn't it? Yeah. He is amazing and rich. So I've got some doubt. <laughs> Self-doubt. Just a just a smidgen of self doubt. I've got qualities, <laughs> and I am joined by uh, by a girl who can't find his intro, and a girl who um, a girl who can't find uh, and, and I'm joined by um, a girl who is actually from the planet Netflix. It's Charlotte Ames, how you doing? Is that a bad reference or a reference to the fact that I enjoy binge-watching? I think it's a reference to you do spend a lot of time watching Netflix shows. Yeah. Um, it would be a good bad stats reference, though. It would. Now, now let's talk about music for a bit, right? Because Louis Capaldi we're loving at the minute, right? And, <laughs> no, that's he. See, I don't think Mambo Number 5 counts as music. But if I was at, if I was at a party and Mambo Number 5 come on... I don't. I, I would be on the dance floor, but would I? I, I don't know. What, I think I think there's a difference between music you listen to at home and music that you'd like. You go to a, a family party or something like that, and you you would dance to. Let me give you an example, right? Uh, uh, Mambo number five, right? Party music. I wouldn't put it on at home, but I would party oh, to it. I'd party at home to it. The, would you party at home to member number five? Yeah. Right, let me challenge that. Macarena. Would you put the Macarena on at home? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Abba. Would you put Abba yeah. on at home? Okay, okay. We're 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 just. I'm just trying to lower the level now. Kylie Minogue. No, actually, Kylie's all right. <laughs> Kylie's all right. Um, what's your what's your level? What's the thing you wouldn't listen to? Uh, what don't I listen to at home? I listen to everything. Like, comes on the playlist. I listen to it. That's it. So you've got no standards at all. No musical standards no. at all, it doesn't matter. Um, and what, what's your favourite thing on Netflix ever? Oh, you can't ask me that. Because that is this week's question of the podcast. You can't ask me What that. is your favourite thing on See, Netflix? See, I don't think you're going to get many responses for this one. All right. Well, I know how many responses I've got because I've asked it already. I don't like this question. Um, Why? Because I, lo- I watch a lot of stuff on Netflix. You know what is my favourite thing on Netflix at the moment? One day at a time. What is it about? Okay, it's about um this this lady. She's a Cuban immigrant and like. Oh yeah, you tell me about that. Go oh on. okay, so uh, it's about uh, and she's like the grandma. Yeah. Um, and her husband died, and her daughter 
his husband left her, her husband left her right because um like he had a drinking problem and he was a soldier so he had PTSD. Oh, it's comedy, is it? It is actually. Oh, it's a comedy. <laughs> oh yeah, because because comedy is about PTSD. Um, you go down the storm. And there's like loads of it confronts like loads of racial issues and like uh, issues about like women and. But you know you know what you know what's interesting. Like so as of today, the new Ricky Gervais thing come out on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And I w- I've watched it, and it's very, very dark, mm. very, very tragic. <laughs> it made me cry quite a lot, but also very funny. So I think dark, challenging yeah. shows like, can be it's funny, It's not can't the it? way funny as in the way Ricky Gervais is. It's, it finds, like, it separates the two yeah. and then finds a way to weave them together. Like, yeah. um... It will have like a really serious scene, and then one of them will say somebody will fall over. Someone will say something funny, but it's still related to the topic, and it kind of lightens the mood a little gotcha. bit. Like um, gotcha. there was a bit uh, they were talking about uh, in the third season, which is the newest season. I love it. Um, about like the girl uh, Elena, uh, she got um, catcalled, and people were saying like really like overly sexual stuff to her. Uh, and the mum's talking about her story about how one of the guys from the uh, from the camp she worked out in the war tried to like you know and then she was talking about how she punched him in the face and ran away okay and I just it made the me correct laugh. response <laughs> Not in every situation, obviously. I don't want to advocate punching people in the face and running away uh, 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 as, as a solution to most stuff. Mm. Like, if somebody's rude to you in a restaurant, you don't punch them in the face and, and run away. You just go, yeah. that's your opinion. Yeah, ex- exactly. Thank you for your opinion. I do not need to respect your opinion, <laughs> but let me punch you in the face and run away. <laughs> no, no, don't no, do that. No, 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 don't no. do that. Children. Don't punch him in the face and run away. Definitely not there. Let them punch you in the face and run away. <laughs> <laughs> Do not let children punch you in the face. Number one, I'm quite tall. So they, I don't know if they'd be able to reach my face to punch you and run away. Yeah, they'd jump up, punch me in the groin, <laughs> and then run away. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, this has gone on a bit of a weird tangent again. Um, but... Um, uh, uh, I, I'm just I'm worried now, Charlotte, because Russell's got to do the titles to this particular show, and he has been known to pick the thing that's the most extreme. So I've got a feeling that uh, the titles for this particular show is this time on the Kindness Project, punching people in the groin and running away, and we interview somebody about philanthropy. It's just like, how's that going to work? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, um, we're gonna calm down. We're gonna calm down. <laughs> Should we get serious? Why? I don't know. But let's ask our audience what the uh, uh, the, the oh, current sorry, question. We're thr- it we're throwing it to the floor. So uh, our audience, uh, uh, and I have asked some people on uh, social media this question already. What's the best thing on Netflix ever? Mm. What's the best thing? thing you've ever watched on Netflix let me know I've already answered this question okay fair enough you Um, not I haven't right so what's the best thing on Netflix ever answer that and where can people get in touch with this at all economists on Twitter 
that thing. Uh, and then it's the kindest project in Facebook, and you just kind of do the tacky thingy. Um, and then uh, you uh, all at the kindest project. You do the typey <laughs> thingy. You do the typey thingy. Is that? It's like you can't be eloquent all the time. <laughs> Some of the time would be good. You do the typey thingy. <laughs> Right, cool. uh, you, you, our email. Uh, I think this is Do the typey thingy in your email thingy. <laughs> and you put Ola at the kindness project. In your typey, on your typey thingy, <laughs> in your browser thingy, on your Google thingy. In your web thingy. <laughs> so that's uh, yeah. how you can get in touch with us. And don't forget, kindness project listeners, and, and, and the one person who's now watching us on Facebook Live. Um, uh, at Andrew. Um, oh, yeah. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Um, you can buy a Kindness Project merch at www.thekindnessproject.com Charlotte's just dropped the phone at uh, www.thekindnessproject.com forward slash merch. 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 So you can do that. So uh, you're more than welcome to do that. Can we move on? Shall we move on with the show? Oh, yes. <laughs> Are you ready for this week's Kindness News? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that sounded very uh, enthusiastic. So let me do what edition are we? No, I'll do it. All right, go on, then you do it. You do the jingle, and I'll. Kindness News. Kindness that shaped history. Edition. It's not really. It's, it's, it's not really an edition. History edition. That that edition name was a bit long for an edition name, but let's have it. Kindness news. Five hats of history that shaped history. Uh, edition. No, this is called go history edition. All right, history edition. What was your first act of kindness that shaped history? A letter saves the life of Jane Austen. Oh. 1883. Tell me. Sorry, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently Alexa's never heard of Jane Austen. Um, Alexa, have you heard of Jane Austen? No, she's ignoring me now. I don't know that one. No, she doesn't. She doesn't know it. Because I said a letter. Oh, right, Okay. <laughs> Okay, tell me about how Alexa saved Jane Austen. I mean, uh, I mean, a letter saved Jane Austen. In 1783, seven-year-old Jane Austen and her sister Cassandra were sent to Oxford to stay with one of their cousins, Jane Cooper. The girls were to be taught... <laughs> Go on, the girls were to be what? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what did you say? Talk. Tortured. <laughs> The Austin sisters were tortured. <laughs> the girls were to be tortured from about seven. No. And mostly mostly because they were children. And if you heard last week's kindness news, you know what we do with children, don't we? We squeeze them like sponges and throw them right like rocks. Um, children tortured. Uh, children. <laughs> There's a big difference between tutored and tortured. And R, basically. <laughs> So do you want to? Let's assume they're being tutored. So um, if they're being if they're being tortured. Callie, who later moved to Southampton, taking the young girls with her. While in Southampton. With their permission, or? <laughs> no, slaves. Oh, right, okay. Cassandra and Jane became very ill with what was known as the putrid sore throat. <laughs> <laughs> Is this kindness news? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting to it. Suggest, uh, suggestions have been dip, 
hysteria, a potential fatal contagious bacteria infection that may... Christ on a bike! This is Black Plague Edition! <laughs> Typhoid! <laughs> Ty- kindness news, Typhoid Edition. Right, go tell me. Kindness news, Torture Edition. Right, go tell me. She was so ill, she nearly died. Oh. <laughs> Miss Corley, from, from some inexplicable reason, made no attempt to alert her parents. Oh, <laughs> kindness news, child neglect neglect edition. Go on. But what instead, what did she do? Uh, author Helen Amy explained how Jane Cooper took it upon herself to write and inform her aunt that Jane's life is in danger, after which aunt Austin's mother and Mrs. Cooper set off for Southampton to rescue the girls, bringing a herbal remedy that could supposedly cure the infection. Okay. The Austin sisters recovered under their mother's care at home, and the three girls never returned to Miss Crawley. No! Without her, I don't expect so! Without her cousin's timely intervention, explains Amy, Jane Austen would have almost certainly have died, and the world would have been deprived of her outstanding talent. I like that story. Very nice one. Number two. Meet Guyers and Associates, hide Anne Frank's family from Nazi persecution. <laughs> 1942 to 44. Sorry, I'm just. This is where we were very dark way. One almost died, one was hiding Anne Frank. Anne Frank, uh, I think Anne Frank eventually died, though, didn't she? It's like, it was like 10 days before all the cats got liberated. Was it? Was, was it really? It was a really short time before the cats got liberated. But, but. And dad found but genuinely, take it. I mean, I can't think of a kinder act than sheltering people from evil at personal risk to yourself. Because that's what it is, isn't it? That's what it is. You are you are in a position where you're potentially going to die by saving mm. somebody else. Following the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party in 1933, the Jewish Frank family decided to escape to, to the Netherlands to flee the rapidly es- escalating anti-Semitism in Germany. Otto and Edith Frank, along with their daughters Margot and Anne, went into hiding in an annex above Otto's office in Amsterdam, Amsterdam on July 6th it says 6th of July but it sounds better July 6th 1942 they were soon joined by four other Jews the family was helped into hiding by a number of people who had worked for Otto Frank including Meep Gies I'm sorry ancient historical man if I'm butchering your name who had been who had started work as an office assistant for Frank in 1933 during the two years and 35 days the Frank family lived in the secret annex Guys, along with other helpers, visited frequently with food and other supplies and shared news from the outside. Above all, the fr- friendship and kindness shown by Guys proved a lifeline for Anne, who kept a diary about her experiences and thoughts while in hiding. On August 14, 1944, everyone in the annex was arrested. Somebody had called the German security police to notify them that Jews were hiding in the pro- Prinzengracht. 236. Right. The identity of the caller has never been established. Everyone in the annex was deported first to the West Westbrook Transit Camp and then to Altruitt in the summer, in the autumn of 1944. Anne and her sister Margot were transported to Bergen-Belsen, a concentration camp in Germany where almost 4,000 Jews, primarily Dutch, were imprisoned. Yep. They're fa- there, facing unsanitary conditions and having no food, the girls contracted to typhus. They both died in March 1945, just a few weeks before the camp was liberated. Yeah, yeah. But the act of kindness of sheltering somebody that you know that you could potentially get killed for mm. is a is a brave one, isn't it? I think it's a massively brave one. What's your third story? Well, have, uh, Elizabeth Fry visits Newgate Gal, 1813. 
Until May 2017, British social reformer Elizabeth Fryer was co- commemorated on the UK's £5 note, later replaced by Winston Churchill, for a most famous philanthropic project, Reform of the Female Side of Newgate Gal. Elizabeth Fryer was born into a wealthy Quaker family and later married London merchant Joseph Fryer, with whom she had 11 children. By the early 19th century, Fryer had already turned her attention to the plight of the poor, distributing aid and establishing a successful Sunday school for children. But the family moved to East Ham in 1809. East Ham, it's a local one as well. Fryer co-funded a school for poor girls and organised a smallpox vaccination programme for the children in the surrounding villages. Okay. Fryer's notable prison reform was sparked until... 1813, when she visited Newgate Gal to distribute clothing to female prisoners after a Quaker missionary named Stephen Grelet had alerted her to their plight. Fry was appalled at the conditions and was most affected by the sight of two women taking the clothes from a dead baby to dress a living one. Oh. When Fry returned in 1816, uh, little had changed. The women she wrote were wild beasts, often drunk, disorderly, and even violent. Elizabeth now launched into action. She organised a school for the children and appointed a matron to watch over the prisoners. She also found useful work, sewing and knitting for the women, and formed the Ladies Newgate Association, the members of which would visit the prison daily to superintend the matron, give religious instructions and mentor the prisoners. New rules were laid down, forbidding begging, swearing, gaming, play, card playing, quarrelling, immoral conversation and improper books. The prisoners voluntarily submitted and Elizabeth won the support of the gal and the city authorities. Fry's prison work later won public recognition through the foundation of the Elizabeth Fry Refuge for released female prisoners in 1849. And you know what? There used to be a school in East London in Plastow called Elizabeth Fry that used to, that was named after her because she was such a powerful influence in her time. Um, yeah. What's the fourth one? Harriet Tubman rescues at least 300 people from slavery. Okay. See, oh God. <laughs> well, you're not pleased about that. Harriet Tubman <laughs> saves 300 oh, people no. from slavery. I, I, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to figure out what the C meant, and it just means that they don't know approximately what year it is. 1850 to 61. Okay. Born Araminta Minty. Ross in Maryland, USA. I love that name. Araminty Minty Ross. <laughs> Araminta, Minty is a nickname. All right. Uh, Araminta Ross in Maryland, USA in 1822. The woman now known as Harriet Tubman was born into an enslaved family who were all owned by the Broles family. At this time, in certain American states, enslaved people were considered property with no rights of their own, and their well-being was only, usually only considered important in terms of productivity. From the age of five, Minty was put to work. She was often loaned away from the home from neighbouring families who mistreated her, and by the age of 12, she had graduated to break, back-breaking work in the fields. In 1849, in her late 20s, Minty fled her alone to Pennsylvania, the neighbouring free state. No one knows her exact route, but during her escape, Minty likely used part of the Underground Railroad, a secret network of slaves and abolitionists sympathiser for the first time. On the railroad, so-called conductors guided fugitive slaves between hiding places or stations toward freedom in the north. It was around this time that Minty changed her name to Harriet, likely to cover her escape. Mm. When she arrived in Philadelphia, Tubman soon found domestic work and made abolitionist friends. However, she was not completely safe. Slave catchers operated in the area, and just a year after she arrived... It just seems like a different world, doesn't it? Mm. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 obliged local commissioners to return runaways to their owners. There were now harsh penalties for those who aided escapees. 
Yet over the next 11 years, Tubman made as many as 19 trips to res rescue approximately 70 slaves, including almost all her remaining family from Maryland's eastern shore. She also delivered to many others detailed instructions on how to escape. She is often estimated to have helped over at least 300 people from slavery. Love it. Good old Tubbers. That's my nickname for Harriet Tubman. Um, <laughs> Luz Long advises Jesse Owens on his run-up. Who? Louise. Oh, it just says Luz Long. Luz, Luz Long. <laughs> this is full of great historical names, isn't it? <laughs> Luz Long. Tubbers. Luzzy. Okay, fry, fry up. That's what I call Elizabeth Fry. Frank. <laughs> Go on, tell me about Luz Long. Um, it is often claimed that Jesse Owens, American four-time gold medalist at the 1936 at the Berlin Olympics. Yeah, that was the one where he <coughs> won the 100 metres in front of Hitler. Was deliberately snubbed by Adolf Hitler, who refused to shake his hand. Though Al Albert Speer, Germans war... Germany's war armaments minister recalled that Hitler was highly annoyed by Owen's series of victories. Yeah. That Hitler had chosen to shake hands with only with German competitors and only on the first day of the Olympics and had not deliberately refused Owen's hand. Owen perhaps would never even have won one of his gold medals if it wasn't for the kindness from a fellow athlete, German long jumper Carl Ludwig Luz Long. Now, Luz Long for a long jumper is a bit of an amazing name, isn't it? <laughs> On the 4th of August 1936, in the qualifying round of the long jump, the world record holder Owens had already foot-faulted twice in his bid to compete in the event's final. Long, the European record holder, offered Owens advice on how to adjust his run-up to make his qualifying distance. Love it. Long suggested that as the qualifying distance was only 7.15 and that Owens could jump more than 8 metres, Owens should shift his mark back to ensure that he took off well short off the board and remained clear of another foul. Owen's next jump was a success and he went to win the gold medal with a jump of 8.6. Amazing. 8.06 with long earning silver. Owen's later wrote uh, of the 1936 Olympics. What I remember most was the friendship I struck with Luz Long. He was my strongest rival, yet it was he who advised me to adjust my run-up in the qualifying round. You know what? That is, that is proper sportsman conduct, isn't it? Mm. Being kind, being fair, helping somebody out, even though you may lose out on an Olympic gold medal, just giving somebody your support like that, and in a in a country where the political pressure was not to help people like that. Owen's long jump world record stood for 25 years, and his performance during the Games is widely regarded as a blow-off to... A blow-off? Uh, <laughs> a blow to Adolf Hitler's intention <laughs> to use... A blow-off to Hitler... <laughs> <laughs> a blow as a blow to What did Jesse Owens do to Hitler? Gave him a blow off. <laughs> a blow to Adolf Hitler's intentions to use the Olympics to demonstrate Aryan support. That was that was true because Hitler wanted to pretend that uh, th his perspective was correct in terms of the superiority of the Aryan race, and in reality, Jesse Owens uh, uh, cast a huge doubt over that clearly because he won so much he did amazing stuff yeah that was really good is that your last one, my last one? cool that was a really good historical overview of um, kindness <laughs> this week charlotte we're actually interviewing um Drum roll, uh, 
uh, we're actually interviewing Marcus Tomlinson. And Marcus is going to talk to us about uh, mindset and having a positive, kind and helpful mindset. Would you like to listen to the first part of Marcus's interview? Yes. Okay. Uh, so today I'm joined by Marcus. Marcus, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much. Amazing. And can I just say, just before we start with the questions, um, doing a bit of research for this uh for this interview and obviously we know each other already but um, I love your video on your website with the fire breathing at the end it's amazing could you teach me how to do that so I can for my little financial planning business I can do some fire breathing videos I'd love that I can teach you in 10 minutes it's <laughs> so much easier than you think gotcha like anything it's, it's once you know how yeah. the trick is that you yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've got I've got a parachute jump this year, so my mind my my mental uh, my mental focus is on making sure that I don't fly up and just say take me back down. But uh, yeah, I um I, uh, I I I think fire breathing is definitely on the list well, at some point. Yeah, definitely. Team, we, we do the team, yeah, we do the team. But um, what I wanted to do today, as you know, Kindness Project is all about talking about people doing awesome stuff in the world. And we have been really lucky to talk to uh, a wide range of people all doing great stuff. But I think sometimes we focus so much on helping other people, we lose the focus on actually you need, sometimes you need to be a bit kinder to yourself. Um, and that's what I want to talk about today. How can you, as an individual, just be uh, a bit kinder to yourself just to make sure that you can be kinder to other people? Um, so, before we start that, tell me a little bit about you. Okay, so I started my working life, not a clue what I wanted to do. Yeah. So many people did lots of stuff while I was still at school with my stepfather, uh, bimbled around until I eventually fell by accident into financial services. Okay. Uh, when I was about 20 and uh, stayed there for uh, 20 years. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, like many jobs, it was great in some ways, challenging in others. Um, and, and what was kind of interesting about that was I got, I was successful, it was quite easy in the late 80s and 90s to make money. Uh, I, I was one of the first to buy into the whole fee thing. I yep. think I had choice and, and um, I was a bit uncomfortable with some of all the fees that were sloshing around. I yep. thought people should have a good value. Yep. But, I, but I did really well, built my practice up. But I, I suffered from something I, I now call small businessman syndrome. Okay. And it was where I couldn't let anything go. So I, I built the business up from nothing. I was marketing, sales, T-boy, yep. everything. Yep. Yeah. And, and I really didn't want to give anything away. Yeah. Because I had this false illusion that it wasn't so much anyone could do it as well as I could. I mean, you know, I knew people were better at stuff than I, but did they have the same passion and commitment and yeah. all this sort of stuff? And I started to get a bit confused and uh, stressed. Okay. I didn't call it stress then. Uh, so in the year 2000, I was shattered. I was working a lot, I was a rugby playing financial services guy from the north, okay. so picture that, uh, if you will, um, the amount of alcohol that was consumed, <laughs> phenomenal, then working all the hours, um, kind of burning the candle at both ends, and went to the doctor and I said, what's wrong with me, and he kind of looked at me as if I was daft and said, actually, I'm going to officially diagnose you as being stressed, okay. and I, I sat there, this isn't a great podcast, but I, I sort of clenched my fist, and I went, I'm not stressed, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And he did that marvellous thing that doctors do. He kind of just looked over the top of his glasses at me and didn't say a word. I thought, oh, okay then, right. So I thought, if I've got this thing, and, and yeah. I think it's helpful for people to, to maybe hear this, that at the time, my opinion was pretty poor. I thought stress was for weak-minded people. Gotcha. It was an excuse for being lazy. Yeah. So that, that hit me hard. Um, luckily, I was uh, referred to the practice uh, psychologist, I think he was called, and he talked to me about relaxation and yeah. taking time for yourself. Yeah. Some nonsense called meditation, and right. none of that fitted in my world. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, something said, Look, just take some advice for once in your life. You spend your life giving advice, take some. And I started to study it. And part of that journey helped me understand how the brain worked. Okay. It took me into studying psychology. Yep. Uh, it took me into going on all sorts of coaching courses. And I had a, a series of these eureka moments of why didn't anyone tell me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was fascinating. So it's, you know what's interesting? I think I think it's probably changing slowly, but there's a there's an element of I don't know m- masculine bravado that says you can't admit if you've got a mental health problem. Yeah. Um, and and actually, how many people out there because they they fear to admit they've got a problem suffer in silence? I mean, it's a huge issue. Yeah, I didn't yeah. tell anyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just said, even after you were studying and learning. Oh, later, later on, yeah, but at the time. Yeah. So this was, I'm going back 18 years ago, and of course, stress certainly wasn't anything like the, uh, or mental health wasn't talked about yeah. in those days. So I didn't tell my close friends yeah. for probably three or four years. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. What were you afraid of? Uh, oh, inadequacy, um, the fact that I was, it, it would question my masculinity. Yeah. Perception, yeah. Perception that before I, I I massively changed my mindset, that, you know, people would judge me on the fact that I'd been ill, therefore I wasn't capable of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, not knowing that pretty much everyone I knew was suffering through the same thing. It was a, it's a whole self-image, and I'm putting the wrong instructions in my head. Gotcha. Instead of everyone supporting me, which is what it did, and were brilliant, they would somehow think, yeah, um, it's interesting when you have those sort of conversations and you start having people go, "That's how I feel as well." And yeah. it just changes that that discussion and the, the frame of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I go so far now as to say, pretty much everyone I've ever met and still meet has a level of madness. It's just what level. Yeah, is on the spectrum. Yeah, just a question of where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that you know we've we become aware of. Yeah. Our mental health. Yeah. There's stuff going on in, in, in this magnetic brain. Yeah, yeah. And, and how we're kind of interpreting that is, is, is absolutely fascinating. But I think, I think uh, I mean, the interesting thing for me is the assumption that um, that element of madness or, or being on the spectrum can't be harnessed to do stuff that other people aren't capable of. I mean, when they, when they talk about autism and, and, and look at that as a disability, I'm not convinced that often it is because actually you can, those individuals are highly skilled in certain areas and it's, 
it's society's job to say, well, where, where, where do you fit? You know, where can you, where can you help? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. So you went through that journey. Yep. You loads of reading, loads of coaching, loads of study. Where did you learn to coach? Well, I, I, first phase was me being coach. Yep. So my, my first foray was a guy called uh, Jack Black. Okay. Amazing guy, not the. I was going to say, school, did you go to the school of <laughs> school of coaching rock? I know you're a musician. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I that's what I do now. Mm. Rename it like that, the, the school of rock school of coaching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was the first. I went to kind of a one day seminar for a friend of mine, and what was fascinating it was as if he was talking just for me. Yeah. Because everyone in the room felt, and I was just sort of frustrated, thinking, why doesn't everyone know this? Why isn't no one said this to me before? Yeah. Yeah. So many possibilities of, of different ways of thinking. So then I, I, I then kind of really immersed myself in all this stuff. Uh, did the Tony Robbins thing, yeah. which yeah. you've heard of. Got hold of some Zig Ziglar stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coveney, Brian Tracy. Yeah. Over a period of years, uh, and eventually when I I, I grew, this might be helpful. I, using all these new techniques, I went from having one office to five offices okay. in the country. Okay. And that was with. with some, strategic partnerships we set up, yeah. so I was able to completely change what I was going on, and then I had to decide in 2006, where do I want to stay, do I want to stay in financial services, do I want to move into this arena, there were lots of also personal things going on, yeah. and so I took a couple of years out, okay. um, and uh, made some drastic life changes, I don't think I've got enough time to stay. well I think no, it's relevant, I, I took a year off and I kind of felt I had to give everything away. Okay because I was also on this spiritual journey, and for some reason, and let me say, you do not need to do this. Okay. Let me be really clear about that. That I kind of, I spent everything I'd ever earned on wine, women, and song. Okay. Unless I had a, a rock and roll year. Yeah, yeah. Just to try and decide who I really wanted to be, which was the best and worst of times. Yeah. Uh, and then completely restarted. Okay. Uh, and when I mean completely, uh, I, I was, I put 10 pounds in my pocket. Right. Zero assets. I think it's just relevant to the story. Yeah, yeah. I then dusted myself off and said, right, I'm going to reinvent myself uh, in, in this world of positivity and looked up and said, I'm going to, I need a job and a car because I didn't even have a car. Right. Within two weeks, and I kind of looked up the universe, sent the vibes out, and within four days, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. Okay. What it was about, he said, oh, can you bring those lights back? These were stage lights that we've been using, and I said, "Oh, you may not remember. Uh, I don't have a car at the moment. Sorry, I can't get them back to you. Any chance you could pick them up?" And he said, "Oh, you have a car." I said, well, "What were you up to?" I said, "Well, as you know, I've kind of took a year out, bit of, bit of rock and roll, and all the rest of it. So I'm, I'm now coming back as a consultant to help them grow their business and do some coaching. Yeah. I'm retraining." Um, and he said, "Oh, brilliant! Can you help me? Okay. Can you sort my, my business out?" Right. And it was a all of Coaching, sorry, no, coaching was a recording studio, all about music, yep. uh, TV, film, video. So, a proper Batman's holiday for you, right? You know, well, yeah. yeah. But the second part of that, which, which is so important to the kind of positivity and being good to yourself stuff, was I said, oh, that, that's, that's absolutely brilliant, but I've got to sort a car out. He said, oh, well, I've got one sat on the drive. Yeah. It's doing nothing. Would you mind using that? Gotcha, gotcha. And within four days of, of sending out the but that, but but so so it's really interesting. I I I struggle with the spiritual side. Yeah. Okay. So I'm an atheist. I I struggle with that 
sort of asking the universe. But some t- I, I get that there's a mental side to that as well, right? And sometimes just putting your hand up and going, look, the easiest, easiest thing might have been just to turn around and go, no, I can't help you, and not, not show a bit of weakness and say, I can't because I haven't got a car and I'm just starting out. So I, I think there's a real benefit just putting your hand up and asking for help. It's being honest here, and it's interesting how we process that about yeah. weakness. And, and I was coming through, I'd, I'd gone through rebirth too strong a word, but yeah. I, I'd really kind of, I had to go to certain places of, of, of drinking and partying too much to almost say, yeah, this is not this is yeah. where I want to be. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to stand up and say, I'm, I'm, I was very focused at that time. Even okay. I, I had nothing, this was the, the thing. I also had absolutely everything within me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thoroughly engaged about process of the power of positive thinking yeah. you create your own love and all yeah, yeah. so I was very comfortable at that point saying oh, this is where I am now and, and he was able to give me that help yeah. and I, I, I still uh, say to him uh, from time to time you were one of my life turning points yeah. because that opportunity springboarded me onto a that's amazing yeah um, I love that you know, I haven't asked you a question about how to train my coaching so, uh, but that was something that's really helpful to say no matter where you are what challenging situation yeah. you're in, you can turn it around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we'll maybe talk later about you know the, the fabulous place I've, I've been able to through working with other people get to. Yeah. Um, I chose to, to get my felt because I've been in financial services like you. Yeah. I had all of the, the the qualifications. Yeah. Very very you know quality and process. Yeah. yeah. So I had to have a, a certificate or two. Uh, and I went to the Institute of Council. I started my psychology degree yep. at Leeds Met. Okay. And then I also um, went to the Institute of Counselling because they were the only coaching course in the UK at the time which had UCAS credits. Okay. So they actually counted towards a university. Yeah, yeah. All the others were just sort of kind of early days. Yeah. And even just a word to anyone thinking about getting into coaching, there's a lot of coaching courses out there that, that maybe aren't what they seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and that was really good because it, it was it was a, a really sort of helpful way of putting into practice what I've done with my clients. Because yeah. you do this every day yeah. with your clients. Yeah. Finding out what their, their needs are, yeah. their desires are, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations yeah. financially. Yeah. And it's a very similar process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it helped me put that in a way which was, was, was good for other people. And let's face it, me. It was taking me on that journey yeah. as well. Because you've got to ask those questions of yourself, haven't yeah. you, to, to, to get there. So went through the coaching process and we sit here today with you um, running a business called the Mindset Revolution. Help me understand a little bit about that. Vive the revolution. Have <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to wear a beret, Marcus? Because I, I, berets don't really suit me. I'm not a hat bloke. <laughs> You know what, the, the, the kids, the, so sh- my, my fifth, Charlotte, who owns the podcast with me, um, loves a hat. And then every time I put a hat on, I just, it just, it doesn't suit me. Are you a hat wearer? Oh, I no. Cannot, I, I would love to wear hats, because yeah. you can't see me, I'm Paul Zakoon, yeah. for 25 years. Um, there's one hat that suits me, you can never do it, it's proper full-on size Panama. Gotcha, gotcha. It's the only hat that looks vaguely okay on me. Beanie hats are all right. Yeah. But if a beret was on, yeah, yeah. To, to be frank, to, to, to be perfectly frank, and they, this wasn't a pun, I get a bit Frank Spencer with the beret. Oh, do you know what I mean? It goes all wrong, so I don't. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe we should have a, a future podcast on how to wear a beret. That, I, don't know, I don't know what it would do to do with kindness, but we could give it a go. So tell us a little bit about the Mindset Revolution. Uh, yeah, so when I, I was lucky enough to uh, do sort of, we'll call it more consultancy and yeah. uh, management consultancy with sort of coaching yeah. edge to yeah. it. So a business coach element, yeah. yeah. So that was, so I would go and work for, say, and work for you for six months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Try and have turn around, that was the approach I did. Did a few contracts. Um, and I was practicing coaching kind of casually on the side with one-to-one clients mm. to hone my skills and, mm. and get into it. And I imagine it helps from a business perspective as well, because the mindset of the business owner has a has a influence, right? Mindset's everything, uh, yeah. and, and, and we'll come to that, because I didn't start off calling it the Mindset Revolution. So I did this for a few years until I was kind of a global coach for a financial services company okay. and kind of honing my skills, and then I said, uh, where is it, three years ago, go properly on my own so I'd had a, a business running in tandem doing some yeah. casual coaching yeah. fabulous results and I originally was called Liberalis okay uh, <laughs> now with good intention uh, but looking back I cringe at the name and the reason I chose that is the, the literal translation is Greek it means generosity of spirit yeah yeah. And therefore, that was, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted yeah. me and other people to be generous of spirit yeah. while helping people. Um, but then it kind of wasn't really, it didn't speak to me, it wasn't me. And I recently <coughs> moved to London and came up with the name Black Sheep Revolution yeah. Yeah, yeah. because there was some tenuous links to Black Sheep Brewery through my um, Paul Higson who found that that is my uh, brother's Godfather. Okay. Uh, revolution. I absolutely want to change the revolution. Have a revolution in the way we think. Yeah. Because of our attitudes to stress are still so poor in this country. Okay. Uh, but the whole black sheep thing was good for some people, and all they ever talked about was mindset. So I think it's a very long answer to your questions. However, and then somebody uh, I'm working with now, uh, Alex Sackler, turned around to me and said, "I love what you do. I want to be part of your revolution. I don't want to be a black sheep." And all you ever talk about is mindset. Yeah. Yeah, but it's that rebellious part of your personality, yes. isn't it? It's yes. that it's that element where you want to go. I want to buck the trend, yes. and I, I think I think there's nothing wrong with that because because there's an element of doing things differently that will hopefully help people make positive change. Oh, I think so yeah. because I, I was that person who was at school. I was inquisitive, yeah. but I got shut down in my inquisitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was sent out because I was told, well, uh, many times I was sent out, yeah. because my um, inquiring mind of, of not under- genuinely not understanding was seen as being unruly. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting, it's interesting because I think even now, and I think it is changing, the education system is designed to. Uh, educate people for factory work, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's an industrialised system, and I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm not sure whether the moving forward to the future that's going to be as effective because the the world's changing. It, it's yeah. got to change. I mean, mm. you, you look at uh, I'm not an expert on this, but um, you know, we all talk about Norway and Denmark. Yeah. That it, we have people that, that make up. Sometimes we say four personality types. Yeah. Six, yeah, eight. yeah, yeah. Um, we are nuanced. Mm. There are creatives, you know, people are creative and somehow people look down upon. Yeah. Yet they're the, what do we all love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music, yeah, yeah. 
film and art and writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we have our leisure time, yeah. you don't go and I go and spend more time that, but, yet, but you know, you know what's interesting, and, and one of my favourite interviews we've ever done for the Kindness Project is a guy called Hans, and I don't know if I've, I've told you about him before, but he invented an app called uh, Be My Eyes, which is effectively is an app for blind people who um, who um, uh, if they needed a letter read or they wanted to see what shirt was blue, they could just ask for a volunteer on the app. Somebody jumps on, they use their camera phone, and the volunteer says, this letter says this, or this shirt, is the left shirt is blue and that's the one you want, yeah. and just help them with day-to-day -day stuff around the house. Um, and th they've got about three million users now, amazing guy, su super cool Danish guy, um, and um, it, I, I said, well, look, how did it all start? So you had this idea, how did you, how did you get it to, to fruition? He said, well, I, I didn't know anything about coding or apps or anything like that. Um, and I lived in Copenhagen, and there was a, a coding exhibition. And um, he, uh, he, he said, I thought I'd go along, because I might meet some people there who might be able to help with this app. And it was 50 euros, and they were giving free beer. So the worst that could happen was I'd have a really good day out drinking beer for 50 euros, and I might meet somebody I might not. And that chance, like, finding this thing, and led to this voluntary service being available around the world that helps millions of people. Now, I think often if you were... If, if you were following conventional rules, he wouldn't have gone to that place. He, he, he would have just said, well, that, that place isn't for me. Yeah. And opening your mind to those, those sort of experiences. So I think hearing stories like that, just, yeah. That's a fantastic app, I think. We've not talked about that. And, and I just think that's incredible. Yeah. But, yeah very much so, breaking away from, from um, convention is, if I hadn't done that, yeah. I, I would be uh, probably doing exactly what I was doing. Yeah, stressed. Yeah, I'm yeah. certainly stressed, and uh, or, or you know have a, a, a different type of stress. Yeah. And being able to just sort of do something a little bit different yeah, great. is it's just so liberating. You know, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be an It yeah. just has to be let's stop doing the same things over and over yeah. again. We we pushed and pushed to the to repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, you know, being political, but the look at the system out there at the moment is. is Everyone's conform to someone else's way of thinking. I know, I know. That's the, the, the big trick. One of the things, you know, to, to kind of focus on the question again was why the mindset revolution is. Mindset is everything. It changes fundamentally who you are. Yep. Yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. thinking right now influences how you act, how you think, how you feel, yep. what you do, uh, how you value yourself, whether it's business, whether it's personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to, to, to shake that up and say, I, I do not accept what's gone before, and I can change it, I will mm. change it. And to a certain extent, the your mindset is def defined by the inputs into your into your psyche, right? Yeah. So if you change some of the inputs and take fresh ideas or meet new people, that can that can have a big big impact. Talk to me a bit practically about what you do. So Mindset Revolution is a business, yeah. your reason for being is to help people have a more positive mindset but how does that manifest itself more practically 
The, what, what I've developed now, and I think it's helpful to have a bit of a, a track to run on, yeah. uh, is something called the 7P mindset. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's say people recognise this. Many people uh, doubt themselves, okay. have a lack of confidence, can I do this, or I only fit, I'm only allowed to be this sort of person. Many people, if they're trying something new, will frequently procrastinate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people will put, you know, put it off until tomorrow, uh, and uh, some people get very nervous about change, and that's where the stress yeah. comes in. Yeah, yeah. So the, the practical thing I thought was, let, let me share my journey with you, and my journey is pretty much everyone else I've ever met. Because it's it's that journey of the mind and what enabled me to make some consistent changes. Yeah, yeah. If you then uh, keep keep following that path, it, it might have the same benefits for you. So uh, the seven key mindsets are, and, and, and again before I go into it, there's there's thousands of mindsets, but these for me keep focus, be specific. The first one is the conscious mindset. Okay. And that's simply understanding you have choice. Yeah. You are not defined. Romans used to say, uh, give me the boy till he's seven, and I'll give you the man. Um, sadly, in those days, they didn't say about the girl, it's the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, people, we bought into that. Yeah. Most people in their lives will, will have formed their strongest opinions and they want to change them. Yeah. Seven. yeah. The great news is you can change that program. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Make your version of your reality different from what you think you have to settle for. So be conscious of that. Is, is the first one. So we, we take people through a couple of little exercises to, in hopefully a humorous way, to say, let's look at it from a different angle, and actually, we can shake up your thinking. Okay. You have the choice. Um, and and I'm going to any more detail about that. The second mindset, and to me, this is one of the most important, is called the calm mindset. This is about understanding, recognizing, and managing stress. And we talk about it, but in its simplest form, what is stress? And it's it's based on the fight or flight response. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we know. It's evolutionary, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it ties in. Unfortunately, uh, you are designed to look for the negative stuff in life. We're designed to fear, fearful. What's the what's the threat in the dark? Yeah. So our, our kind of our, our, our core programming is saying, what's out to get me? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we we transpose that into everyday life as as worries about who we are, what we're capable of. So it's designed with great intent to, to either fight the tiger or run away from yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but in modern day, that's your boss shouting at you or an argument with your partner or, or thinking about something you should have done you haven't. Yeah, yeah. We sort of break it down to how the physiology of the body works, yep. how you're actually poisoning your body by accident through the power of your mind. Um, and then once you know that, you go, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. how can I change it? Well, here you go. Here's a load of ways yeah. to respond, not react, yeah. is a great thing. So anyone listening now, take a breath and respond to a situation. Don't react. A great way of remembering that is um, Chris is not so well. I'm going to give him drugs to make him better, some, some medicine. Oh, he's reacting to that. That's not good. Oh, he's responding. He's getting better. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and have that with you every, yeah. every day in your life. And take time. It's all about mindfulness and meditation. And maybe touch on that a bit more if we've got time. Yeah. So that's the calm mindset. Number three is love, the love mindset. Okay. Which is hugely important today. It's about how, what's our self-image? Do we actually like who we are? Yeah. yeah. Do we, we, we develop to, yeah, do you know what, I'm okay. And it's not about selfish or narcissism. 
It's about saying, yeah, the, the way that I interact with other people around me, the values I have are good for other people as well as yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's one of the keys which really stunned. Um, I was in a fairly senior boardroom situation with a few CEOs across longer, and we were all talking about this whole concept of digital presentation. And what was fabulous, this person earns a couple hundred thousand pounds a year. Yeah. Really, you know, you would think that this person really sorted it, you saw from the outside. Yeah. He said, you know, this love mindset. I said, I need that. I, I just can't, I don't like myself a lot. Yeah. And I'm yeah, not entirely yeah. sure why. And almost like dominoes, everyone around the table, yeah, me too. And there was this opening up of people who you would think were super successful. Gotcha. Kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, have the same fears, aspirations. I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I think, and I'm having this conversation quite a lot. um, What defines success? And I think success is about happiness. I think success fundamentally. and, and again, I'm not saying money doesn't play a part in that. And, and certainly uh, part of the conversations we have with clients is about how do we link those two things. But you don't focus on the money. You focus on the what do we need to make sure that you're happy. Um, I think sometimes as well, especially with bigger businesses, is, is the perception of success is different from the reality. Um, and it's interesting how it was quite a brave move of him to put his hand up actually oh, and say, so, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. And I was also surprised that other people uh, go around the room doing that. And this, this happens in. Sign of an open minded organisation, though, right? Uh, open minded is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. These were from different organisations. Okay. So okay. That was even more surprising. Yeah, yeah. They were all key players in, yeah. in some fairly punchy organisations. Yeah. And um, it was interesting because the guy invited me to do the talk. He said, oh, it's one of the guys who's big interested in neuroscience and something else. And he said, he says, you, know, you do know your stuff, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I do. Yeah. And then when this moment happened in the meeting, I just saw him look up with a big smile and we gave him a big Yeah, himself. amazing, amazing. Time. Yeah. But, but you're right, happiness, you know, knowing you've won in life sometimes. Yeah, Unfortunately, I think so many are pushed to measure success by stuff, yeah, yeah. By, by wealth in, and by status and where we achieve. But uh, actually, it's, it's hang on a minute. What what is it that makes you just sit back and go, feeling really good about it? Yeah, right yeah. Now, how important do you think gratefulness is in in, in that? Uh, I think. Well. On the conscious mindset, the first task you get to do is to start journaling three things you're grateful for. Yeah, I love it. Love it. First task we do for two reasons. One, it's to recognise what you've got, what you haven't, uh, but also to just start that positivity flow into your mindset. Yeah, yeah. And this is the, you'll see the common theme in this. And being grateful because we, the, the brain is a weird thing. So whilst it's the most magnificent in the universe, it kinds to help you get what you focus on the most. Okay, yeah. So if you're focusing what you haven't got, what you can't do, what's what's not there, the brain goes, no problem, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to find other stuff to help you be unhappy, uncomfortable, or, or feel anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you then feed it gratitude and, and ask it to look around at what you have got, look 
cut with what's great in your day, yeah. great in your life. The brain goes, oh, you want good stuff? Yeah. Is that what you're focusing on? Yeah, yeah. Not a problem. Yeah. Brain, how can you get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's key. And and life. and this is the, the the reason we start Charlotte and I start the kindness project is. Um, not only because I wanted something we could work on together as she became a teenager and I thought she might never speak to me again. Um, she still does, funny enough. We still get on quite well. Um, but also, we were both just looking at each other going, how do we get positive news in our lives? And yeah. part of that was just creating it ourselves by speaking to positive, interesting people. So I love that. I love that. Yeah, surrounding yourself with yeah. in any book that yeah. you read about which is all about positivity, looking after yourself, feeling yourself with what you can do, what you can't do. So uh, gratitude is essential. Yeah. Um, goal mindset, by the way, is, is everyone I've ever met, including me, has been taught to set goals the wrong way. I think, uh, I say everyone, 99% of people, okay. always the exception to the rule, because uh, and it, I think it ties in with gratitude, that we're, given, we're usually setting goals for other people. So when you're growing up, well-meaning people give you targets. Yeah. Targets. And so you, you tend to think, oh, you know, I've got to have that house, that car, that job, that partner, whatever it might be. When actually you might have a whole different set of, of, of rules or, or genuine aspirations and desires. So the, the, one of the keys that most people miss out for me is, does it go with the head and the heart? Yep. Is it a combined goal? Yeah, yeah. Smile. And I, and I love sitting with clients in, in the early stages and I'll say, give me your goals. Not all of them have goals. Yeah. Those that have. And they'll list some sort of stuff. And they'll get to goal three or four. And all of a sudden, they'll tell me about something which is probably not business related. And their eyes light up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just, they just yeah. Shine. Yeah. I look at them going, well, that's the first problem. Because <laughs> yeah. that's your one, right? Yeah, that's, that's your one, not somebody else's. That's their goal. Yeah, so yeah. The of achieving that. Now, we have little goals of stuff we have to do. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's fine, and that's what we should do, though. We call them smart goals. But it's just fascinating to see that moment. Yeah. And, and people often, they bring the goals down a little bit. Yeah. Because everyone goes, oh, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, you yeah. punch your weight there and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, Big, hairy, audacious goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storyboard, I know you want to talk about this later, the storyboard mindset is probably one of the most powerful, so for anyone who doesn't know the storyboard, is if you're writing a book or a film or a play, you, you, you get to map it, it out. You map it out yeah, and yeah. create the story. And here's the thing. Uh, I you, anyone listening to this right now, has a, a version of who they are, the story they tell themselves, yeah. and what they're capable of, what they're not capable of, where they fit, what yeah. their life's been, often not what it's going to be, and often that can involve a lot of negative talk. Okay. And unfortunately, your mind is always listening. Yeah. So yeah. your story isn't great, if you're not telling magnificent stories about who you are and where you've been, change it. Yeah. 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 No magic formula. It's just change it. Yeah. Write the new story. Who does the new you look like? What does that person, if you were, you know, 
stepping back, who do you admire? Who's your inspiration, your yeah. superhero, yeah. Superman? What, yeah. You know, it's all related to what would Superman do? Because if you haven't written a story and created your future, your brain doesn't know how to get you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and but that ties into the vision mindset. Uh, and, and interrupt me in time because I'll, I'll talk for a week on this stuff. Uh, vision mindset is all about visualising that to create now the, the example is mini YouTube clips of exactly how you look, sound, feel. Uh, and, and there's two brilliant stories uh, about this. One we were talking before we, we went on air to about Frank Bruno. Uh, and he was inspired by Muhammad Ali who created something called Future History. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And what he used to do was, just before he, he was going out through his fight, he'd, he'd throw everyone out of the room, he'd sit on the edge of his massage table, he'd close his eyes, and he'd visualise the end of the fight as if it was on film. And he'd hear the crowd going, Ali, Ali, Ali. He'd, he'd feel the sweat and the smell of all of the, you know, how he was after his effort. He'd see all the, the, the flashes from the cameras. In those days, it was Harry Carpenter would come out yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for Frank or whoever, and he'd imagine the interview. So he created this vision and he went out there and made his vision a reality. Yeah, yeah. Every sports person I've ever heard interview, every successful athlete uh, or, or actor or business person yeah. does that, uses a visualization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what does the future look like? Yeah. And what do I need to do to get there? Yeah. Unless your brain's got that cue. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it doesn't know how to take it. Yeah, it's almost like yeah. you've got this other person inside you. I, I have a bit of a uh, cheesy name, but I call the brain the Swiss genie. Yeah. Um, and the reason it's Swiss is it's completely neutral. It doesn't really have an opinion about what you need. Yeah, yeah. Whether you're giving it good or bad instructions, it's going to help you and it's going to grant you any wish you make of it as long as you're really clear and specific. Yeah, so yeah. Constant wish for bad stuff. Brain think that's what you want. And yeah. it will do everything in its power yeah. Yeah, yeah. to get you there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Equally, if you give it good, positive, clear instructions about the new version of you and what you want to aspire to, yeah, yeah. then it'll go, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I'm yeah, here. yeah. I'm gonna yeah. do everything I can to get it. It's not always that easy, is it though? Because you have got elements of everybody's brain that 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 puts doubts in your head and so so I, 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 I want to ask my next question but I want to talk a bit a little bit about that and and just talk about some of the challenges people face to get them to that positive mindset but but we talked a little bit and I want to talk a bit more detail about being kind to, to yourself the gratitude thing is big right so if you're going to be kind to yourself just just be grateful for where you sit today but what practical steps can people then take to be a bit kinder there are two or three key things that i suggest are helpful for most people firstly just imagine it's somebody else yep now, the way we treat ourselves and the way we treat other people yeah can be yeah. Very different yeah so if someone let's just say wasn't feeling great and wasn't good uh, what advice would you give them yeah, that's a great tip yeah i love that you give them yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of us don't. Don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and what, what are the things we say most of the time that are good and beneficial for us? So, but we also say, oh, your health is the most important thing. And if you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. So, are you being healthy? Yeah, yeah. What's yeah, your diet like? Yeah, yeah. What's, are, you, are you taking exercise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
most of us don't. Yeah. And you'd recommend it to other people, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. If, if you had a friend who was upset, maybe unhealthy or carrying more weight, would you say, ignore your health, eat what you like, yeah. don't bother exercising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So just step back and go, hang on a minute, am I taking the advice that's good for me? So give yourself the best opportunity of feeling better back to loving yourself. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. take that bit of advice. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, the I think is, is maybe two things are, what rules and, and kind of standards are you running through your mind every day so um, unfortunately we have all of this imagery through facebook twitter of people who think that they should look a certain way or be a certain way because the media tells you about how you should be now most of us if you've noticed are not yeah yeah airbrush yeah yeah that's the sad thing is that what we see is generally not Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're constantly comparing ourselves to imagery which is not relevant to real life. Agreed. Yeah. So perhaps just adjust your rules to say, you know, what do you want? Yeah. Well, if you look around the people you know where you are in yeah. your everyday life, what actually is a realistic set of rules yeah. that you can build on for now and then aspire to other stuff later? So I had this conversation um, Saturday night, funny enough. Um, and uh, we were talking about um, I was in a pub and we were talking about um, what we perceive as important compared to, uh, to to the reality of it so I was talking to this lady, I go to the gym with her, so we had a charity training session at the gym um, and they had a bit of a social after so I went along and uh, we were talking about her relationship with her husband and um, uh, uh, we spoke about uh, kids, we spoke about the fact that they were getting this perception of the superficial stuff's important. So the way you look, what, what you're wearing, um, all of that sort of stuff. So, so that was the first part of Marcus's interview, what did you think? Cool. <laughs> cool? Cool. Okay. I'm trying out new vocabulary. Alright, okay, fair enough. is the end but the end is never really the end is it the end is only the start of the end because we have got to answer last week's question of the podcast this week yeah. and you thought that this particular question of the podcast wasn't gonna get any response but guess what what the most popular question of the podcast we've ever ever had You're 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 obviously in the minority because we had a decent number of responses. Let's would you like me to share these. them? So, um, would you like to read them out? Uh, Stu Morrison, Breaking Bad, The Umbrella Academy, and Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt is amazing. I've you're, seen. Can zero you can you remind them. our listeners what the question of the podcast was? Oh, what's the best thing you've ever watched on Netflix? Okay, so Stu Morrison said Breaking Bad, The Umbrella Academy, and Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, Richard Earl said nothing because he's never seen Netflix (gasps) there are people out there who haven't got Netflix Uh, Matthew Wong said he saw a Taylor Swift concert on Netflix now I I know Matt I didn't think Matt was a particularly um, uh, militant Taylor Swift fan but yeah (laughs) you, you, you get surprised Sharon Adkins lo- uh, loved making a murderer. I loved making a murderer. I haven't seen it. 
You haven't seen Making a Murderer? It's no. amazing. Really good. Uh, Tamsin Kane said Suits and Sex Education. Oh, sex Education. Tamsin Kane's a friend of the show, and we are interviewing one of her friends very, very soon, and I'll, I'll tell I you a bit more. Se- um, a, a season of Sex Education. Um, such a good okay. Daniel Sewell said Wonder. Now, I've read the book, Wonder. The I'm, book is amazing. I'm going to wait till I read the book. Um, the and then Selena Hobson said, Peaky Blinders. She Ooh. loves a bit of Peaky Blinders. Russell Dane said, an Eileen Wuornos documentary, very interesting. But for my streaming, I prefer Prime Video. He's an Amazon man. So, I wonder if he's an Amazon jungle man or an Amazon Tilbury warehouse man. I don't see, know. there is one show on Prime I like called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. What's oh. that about? about uh, this woman and her husband cheats on her okay uh, so she becomes a comedian to a comedian a comedian to vent all of her frustrations of, at her husband okay uh, and she gets super drunk and she goes down to the club and she like slags off her husband and his secretary um and like it becomes a career for her and <laughs> becomes so, like, a stand up yeah she raises her two children on it and it's like oh yeah. in, the, in the season I haven't finished watching season two but her dad finds out and I'm just like oh is your dad oh. is your dad quite old fashioned then yeah because it's yeah. set in like the times when <laughs> go on pick a year <laughs> pick a year go on what's old fashioned Charlotte pick a year no it's set Women weren't allowed, was weren't supposed to get jobs. Right. And if you were married to a man, you weren't getting a job. Pick a year. <laughs> I was gonna say 1950s. Okay, you might be right on that, but I thought you were going to say the 1990s and I would have been really upset. Um, uh, Judith Hitchin sent, said Hunt for the Wilder People, which I haven't actually I haven't heard seen. of. No, I haven't seen that. Kath Keat said, a friend of the show, said Abducted in Plain Sight. Alan Bowley was a series called You, called You, was very good and about a stalker-obsessed boyfriend. Now, it's not my bag. Okay. It's not my sort of thing, but I was in the gym the other day, right? I was in the gym and um, found myself getting involved in a conversation about that show. Okay, mm. And somebody said to me, have you seen this you? I said, no, what's it about? She went, he went, it's about a stalker. She went, it's about a stalker um, and um, about stalking this woman. And then the other lady who was involved in the conversation said, yeah, I couldn't believe she dies at the end. I went, <laughs> I went cheers. I'm never going to watch that now. No, you've ruined it And every single one of our subscribers and listeners. Yeah, and everybody on Facebook Live. You know what happens at the end of you now. Um, Just Mike, Mike Christie, friend of the show, said Designated Survivor was pretty good. Uh, John Cook said... The Legend of Barney Thompson, a Scottish black comedy with Robert Carlyle, Emma Thompson, Ray Winston. Uh, Louise, my, my cousin Lou, said Big Little Lies. David Dennison said Peaky Blinders. Lisa Kingett said Orphan Black and Bird Box. Uh, Mark Bartley said Star Trek. Um, Alan Cleary said Stranger Things. Sean oh, Stranger Things. New I've, season, July 4th. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen any of them yet. I know, I know. Sean Atson said Polar. Uh, Raj Shah said Chef's Table. Suits we had from Terry Lawson. Ozark from Mark Donnelly. Uh, Tom Hines said Narcos. 
Steve Clark said Fargo, Kath Harrell said The Crown. Look, there's 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 so many. Uh, Andrew McKenzie oh my said God, Titans. Titans. I love Titans. What's Titans shit. about? <gasps> seven Deadly Sins. <gasps> oh, Seven Deadly Sins killed me inside. Uh, Nick said Archer. Stuart said Star Trek. So we have Star Trek, Narcos, Breaking Bad, The Good Place, Better Call Saul, Annihilation. Apparently, people were really, really happy to share what they love on Netflix. Oh. Despite you believing that they were Yeah, but I don't like like going, oh, I love this, and then people go, oh, that's a trashy show. Clearly, people don't care whether it's a trashy show or not. They love to share what they've, what they've got on Netflix. So, that, my friends is actually the end of the show. Oh. Um, what was that ooh for? I don't know. I didn't know what appropriate mo- uh, uh, noise was appropriate, so I just made... More like this. Oh. That's a shame. Should we, should we try it again? That, that, my friend, is the end of the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, until next time, listeners, and Facebook livers. Bye. Bye.